Welcome to another episode of the Millennial Momentum Podcast. This is Tommy Tahoe Alemo, and I am here to help you grow your personal development. Uh, just like you, you know, I want to make more money. I want to grow in my professional career. I want to be healthier. I want to have better relationships. I want to be more mindful. Uh, I want it all. And so my my goal here is to be on this journey, learn from the greatest, and share those tidbits with you guys as you're you're on your journey as well. I know that you're trying to get after it, and and hopefully that this can add some value to that on a day to day basis. So, um, want to give a quick shout out to the fan of the week. I did a lot of surveying of the audience the last month or so uh, as I'm going through this rebrand, and I want to give a shout out to Courtney McManus. She gave me a lot of great feedback, a lot of great insights. Thank you so much, Courtney, um, for everything that you shared and and you know, keep rolling out there. Um, <clears throat> on this week's episode, I have an interview with Mario Armstrong. He is the host of the Never Settle Show, and I actually caught him three days after he won an Emmy, which is just coincidental, and it was maybe lucky, and it was just awesome. Um, and he tells just such an amazing story of going from broke as a joke in 2008, um, and he'll tell you how broke he was. I mean, he was on his last penny, getting to win an Emmy and the emotions riding off of that 10 years later and, uh, you know, being able to shut, shut down the naysayers and the dream killers, as he would refer to them. It was just really cool to hear that. So I think you're going to like this one a lot, especially for the people out there that have that dream that might be down in the dumps that um, are trying to grow, uh, whether it's their personal brand or their business or just, you know, have an aspiration in life. So I think you're really going to like that one. I'm going to get you right into this interview. I hope you really like it with Mario Armstrong. All right. Mario Armstrong, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hey, John. Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah. No, I'm pumped to do this. Um, no better way to start a Friday morning than uh, than on the podcast. So I want to get on into it. It's been a big week for you. And for people that aren't aware, <laughs> uh, you know, Mario is coming fresh off an Emmy win last weekend. And in your speech, I, I watched your speech uh, yesterday and in it, you say, you say, don't let anyone hold the destiny of your dreams. And I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about, you know, what that quote in particular means. And then, you know, what that whole, that whole night was like. Yeah, it's an insane time when it, basically for anybody that's listening, it's that moment where you've worked completely, you worked your face off to get to a particular vision. It took you years to get there. And when you get there, the moment feels surreal, but at the same time, you kind of got like this bravado about you like, yeah, I told you this was going to happen. Yeah, I told you this was my dream. But you had all these naysayers and dream killers and people that didn't understand your vision or didn't think that you had the money or the resources or the time or the intelligence or the degree or, or, or just the all-out persistence that was going to be necessary. And so you had a lot of people that maybe didn't even intentionally dream kill on you. But just by saying, oh, that sounds tough, or wow, that seems really difficult for you, or that's not something that you've been doing before, why do you think you can make it in that now? Like Even these little subtle things from family and friends become like these dream-killing statements that can really like set you back. And so for me, when I was really, once we hit that moment of, first off, being nominated for the Emmys, to put things in perspective, 10 years ago, I was flat broke. My wife and I, um, I was laid off from my day job. My wife um, was basically the breadwinner of the household. We had our son, Christopher, who was about five at the time. And um, we were just trying to make ends meet. I had gotten laid off and had always been on a side hustle of building a presence, building a brand in media, using what I learned in technology. I went to school for tech and communications and worked in technology fields, did some web development, network administration, user support, help desk, like all that IT stuff. But then I saw like there was this big gap mm -hmm. between IT and being able to communicate what IT does to the everyday person. So this goes back several years. And then that's where I found this niche of blending two industries together to go after this path of saying, hey, I want to talk about how you can produce, how you can be more productive in your life by using technology or how it could be more entertaining or how it could connect you to family better or make better opportunities for you. So it all started then, but we were flat broke and I had convinced her to leave her job 
to come and run this comp- this idea of a company because we had a major contract with a with AOL at the time. We had shot some video blogging for them and they loved it. And we were about to, we, we had signed, in fact, a $186,000 deal that we were going to do with them for like a year's uh, worth of episodes. And on our way to Dulles, Virginia, we were driving from Baltimore on I-95. We're in the car. We're pumped because we're going to a signing party. Any deal that they did back then, over 150000 they would do these signing parties. And so we are on the way, and we get a phone call from our connection. And he's like, uh, David's like, um, I got some really, really bad news. And I was like, what? What's going on? You need to reschedule? And he's like, it's worse. He's like, we just got a new CEO and they put a freeze on all contracts, like nothing can get done. And he's like, I know you guys are on your way here right now. He's like, we got champagne bottles on the table. And he, and we're like, this can't be happening. I put him on speakerphone because I'm like confused and my wife's in the car. So I'm like, she's got to hear this. You can't just hear it from me. I'm like, David, you got to say that all over again. And it just hit us like a ton of bricks. So we pulled over on the side of the road and we just got our jaws just wide open. We're like, I'm out of a job. I told her to leave hers. We had six months of savings. We had 401k, but we got a five-year-old kid. And so we go to work. We're like, all right, you know, it's tough for like that week. We were just like in a daze. And then we were like, okay, you never put all your eggs in one basket. Keep moving. Like we're entrepreneurs. Let's do this. We can make this happen. And then literally three months, (laughs) that was 2000, that was 2007 into 2008. And literally three months after we made that decision, President Obama comes on and says, we're in a recession. So now no one's hiring. No one's trying to do anything. So we had no other option but to run through our 401k, lose a car, um, run, in, run credit card debt up to the tilt, like doing everything to kind of just stay afloat, man. And it was, um, it was the most challenging so what do you- time in our lives. Like it tested our marriage. Like it's not just me. It's both of our incomes tied up in this thing now. And both of our survival is tied up in this thing now. And, um, you know, it tested our marriage and all of that. So I say all that to just try to kind of paint this picture. I'm sorry, kind of like deviating a little bit from your direct question. But I wanted to give some context as to why I said that moment at the award ceremony going up against the NBCs, the CBSs, the ABCs of the world and having over uh, 3,000 submissions and only having 500 nominations and our little engine that could, our little show getting two nominations. We do our show on Facebook. And the reason why we do it on Facebook is because every network clown that didn't see the vision, sorry, every, every network human being that just did not see the vision, <laughs> um, you know, passed on us. And so what I was really up there saying was, don't let anyone hold the destiny to your dreams because it's your damn dream. They don't get to give you the go. They don't get to get the power to give you the yes. They don't get to give you the power to give you the no. So you have to decide, do you really need to be validated by someone else or do you really need to have access from a gatekeeper or can you use that same energy and time that you're doing to try to convince someone of your vision to just go out and do the damn thing? And that's what we decided to do. And we went after we cleaned up the debt from 2008 to, to 11. We were in debt for three years. After we cleaned that up and started making mo- smaller moves, and we can talk about that on the personal branding side, but how we started making smaller moves and we got to where we were at that moment, we went back into debt again to prove the show by doing six episodes of a first season, just so we could say, we know what we're talking about. We really believe in this. We're going to do it ourselves. And once we did that, it changed everything. So that's why I said, you know, don't let someone else hold the, the, the dreams, you know, of your destiny, uh, the destiny of your dreams, uh, because they don't have the right to. You know, a lot of people didn't. One other point on this is a lot of times people say no to things, but are they even qualified to give you a no? No, a lot like, of times they're probably telling you no because you know they've quit on what their dream was or their dream didn't work out, so they want to put you down, probably. Exactly. 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 So you, or 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 they're not even qualified. If they were to give you the yes, like, are they really the key decision maker? Probably not. Like, are you really talking to the key decision maker? So just be careful of like who you're who you're asking permission from who you're looking to guidance from and making sure that if they were to say a yes, that this is a big deal. Otherwise, if it's not really a big deal, 
then you got to watch where you're getting your nodes from because they could be too low down the po- totem pole. So, man, I, I have so many questions. I'm trying to, to figure out the order <laughs> in which to ask them. So I want to put, put a pin in the Emmys night. I have, I have a few more questions about that, but I want to take it back since you were talking about 2007, 2008. And I want to go back into that moment and throughout the journey, and it seems like you know clearly one of the the key traits that got you to where you are today is persistence and being able to you know really ignore you know the people that are telling you no. But I guess my question for you is twofold. You know, one, how did you and your wife like get over such a, a dramatic loss on the AOL deal, and you're in such your back's up against the wall and like how did you put that together tactically like were you guys talking about it a lot were you like meditating were you reading were you just taking massive action um and then you know the second question i have would be like you know once you get into this this deal and you have the great idea of the never settle show and you know it's a great idea she knows it's a great idea but everyone is telling you no and not like you're not like the random guy on the street like the producers at NBC, for example, are telling you that's a bad idea. Like, how do you still believe right. and just know in your gut that's a good idea and you're going to keep going forward and you're going to put it on Facebook? Yeah, these are two great, great questions. Um, I'd say on the first one, on the tactics, we tactically, what you have to do is you have to get clarity on your vision immediately. You have to really before you get disappointments, you need to have this clarity anyway. But if you get a, d- a disappointment and and you don't have that clarity, it can send you down a deep negative spiral. So the very first thing that we decided to commit to each other is if one person is down, the other one has to be up. Even if you're not, you just have to be like both of you can't be down and in, in the dumps at the same damn time. So that was one thing that we committed to. So if you have a business partner or if you have a support system or someone that you trust, if you're solo and you just have someone that you trust, make sure that they understand their role, that if you're down, they need to be up for you and vice versa. So that was number one, um, because that started really kind of creating the intestinal strength that it's not all doom and gloom. The second thing was reassessing quickly, but with your vision of what it is you're ultimately trying to accomplish and then reverse engineer that. In other words, stop looking at the goal that's so far out. Now what you have to do and really what you should be doing anyway to have proper goal setting is to reverse engineer it from where where you want to end up to what you need to be doing on an hourly basis to get there. So what we did is we looked at where we wanted to be in the next 12 months and then we backtracked every single month what did we need to do to get to that 12th month. And then in each month, what do we have to do in those four weeks? And then each week, and then in each week, it's like, what do we have to get done that week uh, to move to the next, to move to the next week? So, and then it was like, what do we need to get done this day in order for these next four or five days to really accomplish the week's goal? So you had these daily goals that lead, that led up to your weekly goals, your monthly goals, your um, quarterly goals, and then your annual goal. And Did so you write that, those down? Yeah, yeah, we had some diligence there. We really did have not not as um, you know, I don't want to make it sound like oh yeah, we were so organized and so planned. Like it was chaotic. So what you were still trying to do is find some normalcy and create some um, some calm and really reassess your focus. So we weren't experts at this, but we took our best shot at saying, all right. What are the small steps we need to take? Because overwhelmingly, you're feeling like this is just too much and it's going to make you cave or give in or give up. And so we figured out somehow, luckily, that if we really bite very, very small, but do it consistently to the best of our ability, that these small wins will add up to larger momentum that will get us to bigger wins later, even as we're dealing with ups and downs of paying creditors, paying debt. I'm taking I'm taking coins. I don't know if you know those coin star machines. I'm taking coins to like the coin star machine to get gas money so I can make it to an appointment Jesus. to try to get 500 bucks here or do a speaking thing there. Like it was like her mom was buying us groceries, dude. Like like this is but like, weren't you at some shit. point when that was happening? Weren't you just like, 
telling yourself or telling her one or the other, like, shit, man, like, I just got to get it. I got to go get a job. Like, I got to go just get something that's going to pay me. I know my paycheck's coming twice a month. Like, did that ever cross your mind or did you ever, like, think about that? You know what, man? Never once. Whew. Never once. And maybe it blinked in there. I'll tell you, I had this one time when I, I left the house. It was 12 noon. I said, I'm going to Starbucks. And um, it was a rough day. I was going to Starbucks. And um, she didn't know. I rolled out. I go to Starbucks. I didn't even have money for a fucking cup of coffee. She knew I didn't have the money. But, she, but I was just going to Starbucks. Like I was just going to be around people and around a vibe. I never got out of the car. She, doesn't, she didn't know that. I stayed in the car, man, and just straight up cried. Like I was just bawling. Like literally just, just giving it all out and, and everything was just flushing. I was thinking like, damn, dude, you're a failure. You got your wife involved in this. And now the whole household income is involved in this. You got a freaking five, six year old kid, seven year old kid now. Like, what, what are you doing? Like, what's his role model going to be? Like, didn't you learn from this already when your dad went bankrupt trying to pursue his dream and then bounce back? Like all this stuff is just coming at me. Dude, you didn't graduate from college. You don't have a degree. Like, who do you think you are? Like, at that moment, that was probably the only moment where I was like, maybe I should try to go and get a job. And then the, anytime that would ever pop up, and it was so far and few between, like, I can only really remember maybe that one time, it was immediately shut down. Like, some other voice would just come out of nowhere, just like, just like I don't know, old school Randy Savage, and just come out of nowhere and just like, just, just, just hit the turnbuckle on you, man, and just headbutt you one good time. Like, wow. what are you talking about? Get back in the game, son. And I would just clean it up and try to figure out how to save face and keep it moving. That's awesome. That's and and you're and so the dream back then, ten years ago or eleven years ago. I know now it's you know you're it's the Never yeah. Settle show is is what you're doing. But like, what was the original? goal like you wanted to be on network television or yes yes because the internet was still yeah. i mean look the internet was popping everything was great but it's still like 2008 like it, it, it that wasn't the accent that wasn't the 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 venue to launch a new show when you want to go big when you wanted to go big still in 2008 you wanted to be on network television because if you could get a show on primetime your your brand would skyrocket like all you needed was one season to go really well and you're you're in there. So we were shooting for network television and we were basing it around, we knew we wanted to do a talk show and we knew that the old models of talk show were stale. <clears throat> like the Oprah's, I love Oprah, don't get me wrong, but that model that Oprah was doing, um, Rachel Ray or Ellen or any of them were kind of doing was like the same model that's been around since like the 80s Oprah and um, and so we were just like look man Johnny Carson like killed it when he came out with late night comedy and everybody's followed that model you have a few people that have made some tweaks to it um, James Corden Jimmy Fallon they made some tweaks to it but ultimately it's kind of the same model and basically what everyone was doing from a talk show perspective is that they were pushing topics out at you that they thought would be of interest to you. And we were like, no, we're in a day and time where people have a voice, people have expertise. Why don't we bring them into the conversation? Why don't we make this a crowd produced show where actually you get a say in the topics, you get to help choose the guests. And then when we go live, you get to ask questions in real time. We'll take those questions. We, we become more of an advocate for you and more of a moderator than like, big deal host with my name and it's all about me and my guests and how cool and awesome we are. Like, it was like, screw that pride and ego crap that gets people in more trouble than they understand how to handle. How do we really deliver a service that could be beneficial to people that could get people off their butts that could really get them excited, but also give them actionable, real takeaways from successful people that have gone through, you know, horrible challenges that they can relate to. And we felt that we could, speak at from that from an authority because shit we lit we did it we like lived through that in a most painful way so we knew how to never settle so that was the idea was to get a talk show on network tv that was the main goal at the okay time. and so then you as you're carrying that out and you know there's a a 10-year gap um you know between when that starts and and where we are today but as you get closer to launching the show you where, where I assume the story is, is that, you know, you're pitching it to network television, you're getting no after no after no, you know, it's a great yeah. idea. And, you know, luckily, we're in a day um, now where 
I mean, not only is like Facebook Live or going on YouTube or, or some of these other channels as good as you know network television, it's probably better and you could probably reach more people that way now because yep. I haven't watched the news. I couldn't tell you the last time I, I turned on NBC unless you know the Olympics were on or something like that. <laughs> exactly. But I'm on Facebook every single day. So exactly. it's a brilliant strategy to do that. And so um, is that kind of how it went? Like you just kept getting no's and you're like, well, we can find, let's find a new way to actually broadcast this out. And you know, no one can tell us no because you know we can run on Facebook. Yeah, and that's it, exactly it. And it's important to kind of just note here too that I was already on network television. So this is important because it wasn't like I was an outsider trying to pitch an idea and it's like, oh, right. of course he got a bunch of no's. Like, who is he? Like, what's the big deal? I was on the Today Show, like as a contributor, as a main player to talk about technology, <clears throat> news, products, anything that was happening in social media and tech. Like that was my that was my thing. So I'd be on with Matt Lauer, Al Roker, uh, all these people that I'd be on with um, every single week or every every couple of weeks. And so I was doing that for several years. It was like the the main tech guy on the air on the Today Show. And it took a long time to get to that point. But what I'm saying all that to say is, it wasn't like I wasn't a proven entity on on TV. Like you saw the energy, you knew he had, he's credible, you knew what he was talking about, and you knew he could handle himself on television. I still had people, even though I had all that going on, I still had people saying to me, well, how do we know you can host a show? And it was just like, okay, so you saw me doing segments and you got me boxed into just segments that you don't think I can hold it down myself. After I told you, I already had a show on Sirius XM for three years. I already did radio on NPR. After I told you all that, you still didn't hear it. You just still got this box of like, yeah. you see me in this, this segment box. Like you're a contributor, not a host. Like really? Maybe in a couple of years. And it was like, what are you talking? So what we did, again, we just went into action. And what we did is we ended up renting Rachel Ray's studio. I, I called up a friend that was in the business. And I said, look, I need a studio that looks like a talk show because I can't, I, I need a spot where I can shoot for like two hours and I'm going to bring in an audience and we're just going to bring in one camera and we're going to shoot this thing from like four different angles and give people a sense of like, okay, yeah, I see him now in this host role. He can actually do it because I was pissed. And I was like, let's just prove it to him by doing a pilot. So we do this pilot, get it done. Looks great. We're pitching the pilot. And, and it's like, we spent this 20,000 that we really didn't have. And, and we pitched in a pilot. And now for like a year, we're getting turned down. It's like, I went and did what you told me to go do. And now you guys are still... Yeah. Like people are still saying, ah, I don't know if this show is going to work or, you know, you need multi-million dollar budgets to do a talk show these days. It was all this limitation and all this limit talk. When people come to you with responses to your idea and their responses sound limiting or it sounds very risk adverse. You have to watch and really understand and probe deeper as to why they're saying what they're saying. Because here's the bottom line. If you're out there pitching your idea and you're getting the same responses in terms of maybe negative attraction and you're getting the same responses, maybe something really is wrong with your pitch or you or, you or the idea or the service or the team. And you really do need to reassess that. But when you're getting different responses, some of those, you may have a couple that are the same, but when you have different responses coming from different people and there's no trend line to really spot, that's your ticket to say, I'm on to something, keep going. Like they don't get it, keep going. And so that's where we were. We were finding that the one trend line that was the same where people were just kind of saying that, oh, this is going to be too expensive. And we were like, yeah, that's because that's what you're used to doing. You don't know how to actually flip the model. So we're gonna we're gonna dismiss that. Had they said other things more consistently, we would have paid more attention to maybe reassessing and pivoting, but we didn't have to do that. So all that to say that we ended up doing that, and that's exactly what happened. We got a, a ton of no's pitching us up and down the street, going to people that we knew and then other people that were getting us trying to get us meetings just based off of off of our background and our persistence. And we got tired. And at the last point, we just broke the straw. We were just like, all right how do we do this ourselves? Like, how do we get to six episodes? That's what's, that's what will claim a season. And how do we do this ourselves? And we got to keep in mind too, really quick. I got to mention this. This wasn't like a two camera shoot with me and a guest just sitting in a studio. 
Like, because there's a lot of those shows that are out there. Tons of people shooting those types of shows. This was a full-on, highly produced, seven-camera talk show production with a live studio And there's a studio audience, and, like, there's all these different segments. And, yeah, it's it's not like it's not like you're going to watch the Today Show or, you know, a night show with, you know, Jimmy Fallon or something like that where it's just, like, two chairs and, and two people. There's a lot going on. It's It's a lot. And I just think it's, you know, it's important to kind of state that because that's where we were getting a lot of pushback that we were too green or didn't really understand all that it would take. So we decided to do the six episodes ourselves. And now we have an Emmy for the most interactive talk show and best talk show uh, for season one, like based off the first season, first six episodes that we come out the game. Yes, season one. (laughs) You're just starting. Exactly. It's like, told you. (laughs) So you're talking about um, you know, pitching the idea and you know, depending on the feedback that you hear, whether you, you think you need to pivot or whether you need to keep going. And I think it brings up a good point around, and we talked about this uh, a while back, around people with a side hustle. And I think a lot of people nowadays, I mean, millennials for sure are leading that, I think, but people of all ages have some sort of a side hustle. And I guess my question to you would be, when do you think is a good time for someone to consider that side hustle to be their full-time hustle and how like what are the signs of I'm ready for this or I'm not ready for this or you know this is a good idea versus a bad idea because you don't really know I mean you knew in your heart that it was a good idea but it took 10 years to for it to to actually come to fruition so like how do you know when is the time to make that leap Yeah that's a really really great question man um you you know when it's time to take the leap when there's like three or four different things that happen in your favor. Number one, that you're clear on your necessity. Like you know your why and you know why this is so valuable and so important for you to kind of do this thing. Like that's the first thing, like really having that necessity and the clarity of your vision of knowing exactly what it is you want to accomplish. Uh, The second thing is having actual clients. Like if you actually have clients then you know beyond your friends and family, do you have people that have bought your service or bought your product? It is critical that you actually have some type of traction to be able to prove that you should keep going. So if you got that side hustle, you got to figure out how you're going to do this thing on the off hours, how you're going to do something on the weekend, how you're going to make those other hours work from, you know, I used to say to people, you know, you, you work from nine to five, but you build your dream from five to nine. So it's like, how are you using those that those hours? Like, it's inexcusable. Like, get it done. You have you. There are hours in the day. You. What do you have to cut back? How? That's where it goes back to your necessity. Like, how important is this really? And how much do you really love this thing? But then once you get past like the passion, because passion is um, expected. Passion is the new norm. Like everybody's passionate. Like I'm tired of hearing about passion. What I want to hear about is your healthy obsession. Like I don't want to hear you tell me you're passionate. I want to hear you tell me how obsessed you are about a particular thing in a healthy way. And and so like how do we go from passion to obsession? And it's like no knowing that you have clients, knowing that you can't service your clients better because now the day job is getting in the way. When you start to feel the friction between saying things like, I need more time because I would have more clients or I need more time so I could service my clients better. That's an indication to you that there's growth and you either need to figure out how to get more hours into that or work out something creative with the day job so you can keep the check coming in or outsource that to someone else who can start to expand your operation and can do some work for you while you can't. Um, so I think, you know, really having a clear and pristine vision um, with the necessity attached to it, why it's important for you to do this and why you, why now, what, what's it really ultimately doing for people? Um, and then the third thing is actually having some traction on whatever the service or product is that you, you, you sell, having some proven traction beyond friends and family that people are paying for this. And then the fourth piece would be clear indications that there are, there's growth. And that is opportunities that are coming your way that you can't now take advantage of because you're tied down to the day job or 
uh, being able to service your clients better, which would get you more income, but you can't because you don't have the time. Those are the kind of the indicators that really say, um, take your side hustle and make it your main hustle. But I'll tell you the biggest thing of all, if your side hustle is just about getting some extra money, stay with just about getting some extra money. Don't try to turn the getting some extra money thing into how you're going to make an income because it's going to take you a while to get to your quality of life from your day job and salary and how you used to roll and what you would buy and what you would do to then going completely raw and being an entrepreneur and starting from kind of square one and thinking that you're going to have that same type of lifestyle. The sacrifices are going to come in and they're going to hit you in the chest. And if you're not resilient and ready for it, it's going to take you out and you're going to be back to the day job. So I, I think these are great points and they make sense. But when I think about 2007, Mario Armstrong, some of these were non-existent. It seemed like you yeah. were more so in the camp of you have the vision, right? And you have the, definitely more than a health, you know, a healthy obsession to the max, it seemed like. And you know, maybe there were some growth opportunities, but it, there wasn't like a clear, this is definitely going to work. Like I'm limited in what I'm doing right now. So I'm going to pursue this thing that's already working. Like you had to, to grind your way inch by inch. And it sounds like you loved it. Right. And I think like some people are built for that. So like, what would you say to the the person out there that, you know, I'm just making this up, but like they have a, you know, they want to sell t-shirts, right. And like, they have no They have no track record with this. They're an accountant right now. They hate their job as an accountant. And like, they're fine to, like, as Gary Vee would say, to eat shit for a while. And like, they want to go out and try to sell t shirts. Would you still Mm -hmm. stick with that process that you gave around, like, all right, stick with the accountant job for a year, start trying to sell some shirts and, you know, build up your your brand and build up your client base? Or would you just say, hey, like, this, this person, like, just has that fire in their belly? If you're willing to take the sacrifice, like you should go for it. How do you know the difference there? Yeah, this is a great question. So here's the thing. I really don't like the idea of telling people to just jump off the cliff and go for it and and like grab some wings and grow them on the way down. Um, And the reason why I do that is because I just think that people need to be very cautious about what type of advice they give people. Um, If you're getting advice from someone who hasn't gone through similar circumstances that you're facing, you don't need to get their answers. So only take advice from people that actually have some skin in the game that you have or have actually gone through something that you're actually going through yourself. So seek out those people that have kind of been in those exact situations. So for you to ask me that, my answer to that would be, look, if you are pissed off at your job, it's making you an unhealthy person and you know this, then that's the only time that I would be comfortable saying, and you know what it is you want to do or you want to go try or you're willing to sacrifice and really mean that, then I'd say, get the hell out because there's no benefit for you to try to stay there any longer and try to build a thing on the side. That negative energy is going to zap you even harder when you're trying to actually go and do something that's good. And you're just going to be really more more resentful. You're going to start not showing up or really doing bad work. And then it's going to have a bad impact on who you are as a person and your brand. So it's much better for you to just get out early if you know that it's a very unhealthy, very sour, negative environment. And then just go for it all day. You're saying, well, my wife or my spouse or my partner doesn't understand how bad I want to go and do this if I just leave my day job and just go. No, you got another 12 hours each day to figure out how you can prove to your partner, your spouse or your wife that you can, you do have some traction and you do deserve a shot at this. And then we do need to plan how we're going to live for a year and actually double that. Whatever anyone else tells you about money, I wish they would have told me double it. I wish they would have told me double the amount of money you're going to need Mario to save double the amount of time that you think you're going to get shit done in. I swear to God, I wish someone probably double the effort it's going to take, right? And absolutely double the effort. But many, most people are willing to like go all in when they have freedom. Most people are willing to be like, oh, this feels so good. I'm all in on this. What they haven't been told is like, yeah, but the universe has to have time to come around to you. So you got to put out the action. You have to put out the work. And there's going to be time that needs to actually take place for certain things to actually come back around so that you can be in a position. So I just wish that someone would be like, I, I love your aggressiveness. I love your attitude, Mario. But you know, not saying you shouldn't be ready in 12 months. Shoot for that as the goal, but just plan for 24 so you don't 
shoot yourself say in the foot saying, man, we haven't gotten anywhere in 12 well, months. I think that's good tactical advice for, for people in a lot of different situations. We've talked about the success. We've talked about how you've been just building you know, your brand for so long and, and Emmy and, and everything that you've accomplished. But what's one thing that is holding you back from the next level of Mario Armstrong? Ooh, really good question. And I love being like, the, the I, it, it pains my team of how, and my parents, of how authentic and like uh, revealing I like to be. Because I think too many people are just living that Instagram lifestyle and they got like entrepreneurs slapped up on their Instagram page. And it's like, it's all cold for doing that. But it's like, you know, are you, are you really, are you really doing something as an, like, do you have a track record? Do you have some kind of success to prove that you should be like, you know, claiming this thing? And it's like, everybody's living these highlight reels. So I love these types of questions because I can get like real, like straight up with what the hell is going down. Man, man, I am in so much pain right now trying to um, build out a team without having the need to go to get funding from investors. In other words, I want to, I, I need a sales, I need a, a, a much higher uh, qualified salesperson on the team. Um, I need two other people that are in social media, one that's going to just like follow me around to all the events and conferences and stuff that I go to and just do more documenting. We have a personal videographer that does that. We, get, we have a ton of stuff on our Instagram channel now that we're pumping more of that stuff onto to kind of just give information to people and help them in their past. But you know, the pain that I'm dealing with right now is you got this success of having the Emmy. Here's the truth, like straight up. I don't, mm-hmm. where's season three? Like we did season one and season two. Like, dude, it it costs it costs us fifty thousand dollars an episode. This isn't like this isn't like you know I, I need five grand or I need ten grand and I just need a sponsor to like you know spend a little bit of money and pull the like I just fifty thousand an episode. We could completely decide not to do that model and do it less expensive and come up with a different model. But the whole reason of doing this model was to kind of innovate change the game and really show that there can be a talk show that's two-way driven that's live where people actually have some say in the show i mean we take it to the extreme dude like people vote live during the show we'll say which topics do you want us to talk about next and you choose you'll comment right in facebook we see the bar graphs in real time and then after like 30 seconds or so we pick the topic that you chose and we have to scramble the control room you can't see it the control room's going nuts because now they have to complete, they don't know which one you're going to pick. But if we go this way, then we have to pull up these clips. If we go this way, then Mario's going to run over to this part of the set. If we go this way, then he's going to bring this guest up on the, on the show. So it's like you really are driving some of the show. That's not happening on TV right now. So we have a ton of ideas on how we're going to do this for game shows, how we're going to do this for, for like documentaries, VR films, a bunch of cool stuff that we're thinking. But I don't have the staff. So the thing that's driving me crazy the most is still having this core team of like four of us and being able to really expand this team so that we can actually start to build out the Never Settle ecosystem. And the biggest thing that was the the main product of that is the Never Settle show. Everything else can jump off of the Never Settle show. But we don't even, being straight up, we don't even have, like we're saying September, I'm telling everybody, you know, we're in season three, September. <laughs> like we know that we have a date, we haven't, but I don't have I don't have I don't have any sponsors right now. So if you're listening to this and you're in the sponsorship game, hit up Mario. Give give the guy. Or if you're listening to this, but you feel firm in that you're going to make it happen, know one thing: we will have a season three. It will air in September, and it's going to be amazing, and it's going to be hot. Where it's coming from, I have no clue right now. But we are working diligently on how we're going to make that happen over the next ninety to one hundred twenty days. And so that should give any of you that are listening that don't feel like you know what's going to happen in your next four months to see what our stakes are and how I'm being kind of full on open with you to kind of show you that this is what happens. We learn as we go along. Well, I know it's not um, it's not all keyed up yet, but I, I will not be one to count you out of having a, a September launch. It's going to be fire. It's going to be on point. And then the, the last question for you here. Just on the point of, you know, I, I really, really strongly agree with you about the piece of people 
on you know Instagram or wherever, like showing you know their highlight reel versus behind the scenes. So I'd love for you to to maybe give one piece of advice to the listener, and really this is a selfish question because I want to take advantage of it, of how people can be more authentic in their brand. Maybe if you had one tip for that on a, whether it's a platform they use or a strategy or a way to connect more with their follower base or, or anything that that's top of mind for you right now. Yeah, I, I would say that, um, you know, it takes honesty and strength for someone to look in the mirror and accept their level of um, weakness, accept their level of strength, and to be honest about what that is. And in order to really deliver your brand and do it in a way that's authentic, you can't strategize it. You can't coach it. So the best thing you can do is to document the work. And during the documentation of the work, drop a few of your tips or points or thoughts while you're doing that. In other words, um, unless you're already at the point of a level of expertise and a level of credibility where people know that you are or have some kind of expert status or leadership authority in a particular space, then sure, you can just go ahead, script out some stuff, rattle it off to the camera. And if you already have that level of credibility, then it's fine. You're like the teacher or the professor or the coach. So that's fine. If you are really still learning or haven't quite reached that level of validity yet um, and want to really expand your reach, then you got to bring people into your process. You got to show people the pain that you're going through. You got to be honest about, um, without sharing your IP, I get that, but like you got to like be very revealing. And if you know that you're not a revealing person and that puts you in an uncomfortable space, then you absolutely need to do this and figure out the small steps to take that is uncomfortable because then that becomes a new comfort zone for you. And the whole idea is to continue to push those boundaries. You have to get comfortable being uncomfortable or there is no personal growth. It just does not happen. So I just think that, you know, um, really, if you're going to meetings, if you're uh, by yourself in, in your living room and you're working on this podcast and you're actually thinking out loud what it is you're, gonna, what it is you're thinking about doing, Turn the damn phone on and record that and upload 30 seconds or 60 seconds of that. Let people just know that you're going through a process. And then they're, they're going to want to find out well, what was the outcome. And they're going to start to connect with you in a different way, in a more visceral way, and in a way that they actually – look, people root for the underdog. They want to see people get out of a problem and become a success or fix it, whether that's selfish that they want to learn it themselves or they just want to see something inspiring and root someone else on. So I would say that's the biggest thing, man. Start documenting more of what you're going through um, you know, and, and your feelings and your emotions and just let that play out. Just let it play out and see how people respond to it. And I'd also say – Survey your audience. A lot of times what people do not do is they don't survey their audience. Ask your audience, if you've already been building up a community or already have a, you know, people following you, ask them why. Why do you follow me? What do you look for? What, what do you, where do you see the biggest value that I can bring to you? And when you ask that question from people on the outside looking in, it surprises you with the answers because we're so close to ourselves, we don't always see the benefit and the value of what we actually do for others. Typically, it's something that we're very good at easily, but we think it has to be very hard work in order for us to deliver some big value. It's usually the opposite. It's usually something that comes to us very naturally that we've overlooked because it seems that it comes to us so naturally that, oh, this can't be really that much value because it comes so easy to me. But in fact, you'll find out from your followers like, yo, that one thing is exactly what we want more of you, <laughs> more from you. And then the last thing I would just say is like, look, reflection to me is a tool that we use every single week. We reflect every Sunday. We do what's called the three wins. We go around the table with the family and everybody's got to like tell us what were your three wins this week? I really, I do it daily, but the family does it as a unit every Sunday. And we go around the room and we talk about whatever our three wins are. We don't care how damn small they are or how big they are. They don't have to be major wins. They just have to make you, make you felt good in that moment. So use reflection as a source of power, not as a form of regret. 
to help you move forward. And I just think that being honest to who you are and really looking in the mirror and being honest, not trying to like sugarcoat it and trying to be something you're not, and then doubling down on what it is you love and then really knowing what your necessity is, like why this matters to you and why you need to do it. And then I think you document the process and I think you start to see yourself really grow. I mean, that's awesome, man. I mean, that's, you hit home there on, on all three points. I mean, you know, for the first on the document, it's been something I've been working on a little bit, uh, on a YouTube, on a daily video. Um, but I think I can get definitely more vulnerable. It's something that doesn't come naturally to me. It's something I'm trying to get better at. So, you know, hopefully by, by the time this airs, you know, a few weeks from now, um, that, that process will be a little bit more in light for people that are, are listening to this live. You know, the second piece on surveying the audience, it's another thing that, you know, I'm in the process of doing now talking to people, trying to figure out how to get to the next level. As we record this, I just released episode 49, so it's definitely a good pulse uh, survey size. Uh, dude. <laughs> that's Great, it. Man. That's it, Consistency yeah. is it, yeah. dude. Like, consistency is so key. The commitment and consistency is so key. Yeah, and I, and I love the three wins, too, on the reflection and sharing that with if you are – a leader with with your team or with your spouse or with your friends right. or your business partner, whoever it is. I, I thought that was great. Um, so I I just wanted to comment there that that those three definitely hit home for me. Um, and and Mario, this you've been really really val- uh, generous with your time. This has been an f- absolute blast. I've got notes to the you know packed on up. By the time this is out, you know I'll, I'll have full show notes with everything <laughs> we we're talking about. Um, but just lastly, uh, if you want to. Just tell everyone where we can find the Never Settle Show, the first two seasons, you know, the first season that won the Emmy, where we can find you on uh, social media, anything else. That's awesome, man. Look, I've really had a, a great time. You got um, an awesome podcast, and I'm really honored to be here to hopefully help. And that's what it's all about, like sharing some value. And that's what you're doing and what we do every day with the Never Settle Show. So I would love for people to head over to our Instagram channel. And you know, if they heard us on the podcast, let, let me know in the comments. Um, Instagram is just Mario Armstrong. We're doing a lot of video and content there. So I think that's a great space. Obviously on Twitter, we can have faster communication, answer any questions that you may have. If there's something that you heard or you want me to expand on, I'm an accessible type of guy. I, I don't like to be, you know, an, a non-accessible. Um, email is easy. Mario Armstrong at gmail.com. You can hit me up on email. And then obviously the Never Settle show. Like everybody needs to run over to Facebook real quick and um, just type in Never Settle. Uh, Never Settle Show in the uh, search bar and then like the page and um, follow the page. That would be massive for us. You can check out the previous episodes and hopefully you pick up some good tips from some of the great guests and be able to tell us what topics and guests you want to have on the show in the future. And the only other comment I would make, man, really quickly, I just, you know, you got me so pumped up just thinking about a lot of the stuff and how your podcast helps people. And I just think like one final thought for me is Everyone always has, you know, ego is one of those things. Ego and pride are one of those things that can that gets in the way of most people's success. Even successful people are victims of their own ego. You, uh, I'm not going to spend the time going down history now of certain people that we regard as icons also just uh, had so much ego that they, they really missed a lot of opportunities. And I'm saying all this to say that when you're trying to be authentic and when you're trying to, not trying to be authentic, when you're trying to be revealing about things that you're going through, Work on not worrying about someone else giving a shit um, because truthfully you worry about, and I'll just talk, I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to you and your listeners and myself, that we care more about ourselves more than someone else does, all right? And if we can kind of get past you know, that feeling of, well, I don't want to share this because people may see me you know, as weak, or I don't want to share this because they might see me as not being yeah. organized or not being as effective or, you know, last week I was telling everybody to go hustle their asses off. And this week I'm damn near crying because shit feels like it's falling apart. Like that's exactly what people need to see. And so the only thing that usually stops that is pride and ego. And the biggest thing that I have learned over the years, which is why I wasn't successful early on in my life, I was successful, but not as successful as I am now. It's because I wouldn't have been able to handle it. I never understood, like, why the hell am I not where I should be? And it's like, because I would have been that asshole dude. I would have been that douche dude. I would have been that guy. And I'm so glad that maturity was able to kick in and I didn't get that crazy success early on and that I can have it now because I'm at a much more responsible and a, a 
space of gratitude and graciousness and meditation and understanding and just being a really great, you know, be, it's striving to be a better human being than I was yesterday, tomorrow. And so at the end of the day, look, we all have our personal agendas that we want to accomplish. Here's what I say to people. Always find a way for your personal agenda to yeah. offer some incredible value that massively benefits others. Like, I get it. I know you want to do your thing and you want other people to know you do what you want them to, you want to do your thing, but you have to figure out how your thing brings incredible value to someone else. So that way you get what you need, but they get what they need even more. So that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't say better than that myself. Yeah. Always trying to think of the other people and, and provide value and the, you know, life gives to the givers and takes from the takers. So Thanks, man. I really appreciate being on, dude. Don't make me a stranger. I want to come back on at like 149 when you're like, yo, Mario, I hit 100. Oh, crap. You got another 50 shows in the can. By, this is awesome. By that point, we'll, I'll have the full I'll have the full studio, the uh, the uh, Facebook Live myself. I'll nice. we'll have you on and uh, you know, we'll, we'll turn into a never settle show type of atmosphere or something. That's awesome. There you go, man. Visualization is key. You got to visualize it. That's key. That's great. That's, thanks so much for listening to that episode with Mario Armstrong, wanted to give you my three key takeaways. Um, so number one is the quote he had at the Emmys. Don't let anyone hold the destiny of your dreams. I mean, I don't even need to say anything other than that. That was just freaking awesome. Um, the number two is, you know, the way that he reverse engineered his goals. Like he thought about what he wanted to do a year in the future and then he broke that down to, all right, if I want to get that done in a year, here's what I need to do every month. Here's what I need to do every week, every day, every hour. And just breaks it down into bite, you know, uh, bite-sized chunks. As uh, a mentor of mine would say, the only way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. So I thought that was that was great. Um, and then, you know, personally, I loved him him giving me some of the tips at the very end, you know, whether that's uh, documenting, whether it's, you know, talking to the audience and uh, you know, sharing some wins every single day. So I've learned a lot from that. I've tried to been taking that into practice. I'm going to continue to do so. Um, I hope you like this one. The call to action here, people, is um, try to show some gratitude this week. Tell someone that, you know, you're grateful that they exist, that you're grateful that they helped you out, whether it's a parent, a sibling, uh, a significant other, random person on the street, the person that, uh, makes your Starbucks every morning, whoever it is, just, you know, let them know uh, in one way or another that, you know, you're grateful for them. Say thank you. Look them in the eye. Show some appreciation. Tip them a, a little extra um, and make the world a better place. So thanks so much for listening. Uh, so fired up for that interview. Uh, hope you have a great week. Talk to you guys soon.